your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture We'd stick around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast that has over 2 million subscribers Those figures you may have seen released earlier by iTunes today are entirely fake news. We have more than 150 listeners in this country. (laughs) Brought to you by Roger Federer's brilliant pasta. Sie spricht pasta for the ganze Welt. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Just to let you know, uh, Roger Federer did not officially endorse this message, but... With him being a fellow Swissman, uh, Clive just assumed that he could use Roger Federer's image and name. <laughs> Absolutely, um, yeah, it's just, it's just a given. It's a shared heritage. Yeah, exactly. Uh, my mum seems to think that you look like Roger Federer, but I, I was pointing out to her that she's possibly seeing that just because she knows that you're Swiss. Like, <laughs> if I hadn't told her that you were Swiss. Um, this is actually something that, yeah, at school I got this a lot. And really? My secondary PE teacher used to say I looked like Federer, and then it, yeah, then everyone seemed. Was to that it. was that because they knew that you were Swiss, though? I think it probably helped, yeah, but I don't know. It, it's been said a few times. Mm, maybe, maybe there's something to it. I mean, I don't know, but <laughs> Roger Federer is not quite the athlete you are, but um... obviously not. No. Do you think <laughs> slightly better with a tennis racket? But mm. do you think that? Um... People who think that you're Swedish uh, reckon you look like Benny Anderson. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I mean, you're a man who's been compared to many things. Um, Carlito the wrestler is a memorable one. I think uh, he's that's one of the la- best. Yeah, that's largely hair related, though. I think I'm not sure it's <laughs> facially. Yeah, that's the that is the rare thing about Fed. It's always something, I suppose. With Federer, it's definitely not hair related. Usually, when people say I look like someone, it's just because they've got big hair. And I'm like, well, like Fellaini. Yeah, like, look I mean, like Fellaini. He's got similar hair. I mean, I mean, I'm not accusing Roger Federer of um, being this way politically inclined, but he's got the haircut of a Conservative MP, <laughs> uh, which is not what you have. <laughs> I'd be shunned in the Conservative Party <laughs> for many reasons. But anyway, um, we're here for books episode, oh shit, 10? Yeah, like maybe 10. 10. Who knows? Like we're going with 10 for now. I'll research it later because, you know, who wants to research ahead of time? Um, I'm here with a bit of a slim, streamlined uh, podcast today. We've got rid of the riffraff. Um, <laughs> I'm here with Alex Wayne. Hello there. And David Peeling. Howdy. Both literary experts. Literary? Oh, I hate that word. Literally. Lit- yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are literally. Literally. You're both literally experts. Um, how have we been doing? Lots of lots of reading, guys. Um, I've I've been doing a little bit. I don't. I've only got really one book to talk about in any great depth, right. um, and even that's pushing it. But I've I've read another book as well that I'm going to mention briefly, just because it amused me so much. Not intentionally, it must be said. But um, we'll go over okay. that in a bit. Intriguing, Dave. Uh, yeah, not so much very recently, but certainly a lot since the last time we uh, we podded. Oh, cool. That's good. I've, I've read a few as well. I've read a couple of books to my kids and a couple of books at home. So 
Got plenty to talk about. Um, right, let's get this show on the road. Let's go straight to Dave. Wow. What have you got for us first? Bam. Thank you. So, um, the book I'm going to talk to you about today is one that has been on my shelf for a little while. And um, I know we've mentioned the, um, the, the literary prowess of um, former President of the United States of America, Barack Obama, on this podcast previously. And was reading a comparison of his favourite books to Donald Trump's, um, <laughs> and happened to notice that um, a book that was on Barack Obama's list, not Trump's list, was on my shelf. So I thought I could pick it up and give it a read. And that book is uh, The Naked and the Dead by Norman Mailer. Obama gave this to his, uh, I think, to his eldest daughter as something of a, a I think it was a book to take to college or something like that it's um it was written in 1948 and it was based on Mailer's experiences in the uh, U.S. Army during the Pacific campaign in World War Two. The Naked and the Dead follows a um a conflict on a fictional um Japanese island in the Pacific War and follows primarily a platoon that uh, is landed on the beach at the start of the book and is involved in the uh, the, the climatic struggle the the the, um, the struggle across the island to um, to defeat the Japanese so they can hop onto the uh, to the next island on the way to Japan the book the book moves through the um, the kind of campaign from top to bottom. So a great, whilst a great deal of time is spent with the platoon and the men in the platoon, there are elements that focus on the other uh, factors at play, right up to um, right up to General Cummings, who uh, is overseeing this particular operation and dealing with the politics, fighting with other generals for resources and for media coverage and so on. The book starts off with a. Well, the book is split up into four parts. The first part, Wave, um, begins with a beach landing and um, there is a moment of um, quite remarkable violence at the very start of the movie, as, at the start of the movie, the start of the book, as the, um, as the men land on the beach, uh, fearful of the, um, of the combat that they're about to enter with some of the more veteran-hardened men resigned to a fate and some of the new replacements from the last conflict uh, literally shitting themselves. The book then kind of calms down and um, slows right down kind of as a reflection of the the, the, the jarring um, parts of the of, um, life in the army that Mailer found where one minute there would be a, a literal life or death struggle that involved everything and everything around you and all of your emotions and all of your feelings and then weeks and weeks of being sat on your backside waiting for the next thing to happen. Some of the more interesting relationships in this book are those between General Cummings and his <clears throat> his assistant uh, Lieutenant Hearn as the only officer that he can relate to intellectually um, both having been Ivy League students who attended um, uh, attended U.S. Army uh, College and can talk on a, uh, uh, about politics until one day Cummings 
decides that the um, the far too liberal Hearn has um, has annoyed him and sends him off to join the platoon. The platoon are sent off through through the jungle to find a way to the to the rear of the enemy, and that's where the bulk of this book, in part uh, parts two and three, uh, happen. The book I thought was um, was really uh, really really well written. I I really enjoyed the pacing of it, the movement between the kind of the the action and the development of the characters. The characters are very um, are, are well rounded. And and each is given a a kind of uh, well, Mailer refers to them as the time machine segments. Each one has a bit where you go back to civilian life before the war, and you see some of the influences that their civilian life had on them before they came to the army. With many of the characters forming themselves a new life once they're drafted during the war, it is a. Um, yeah, a fascinating study and one that is not entirely unique, but a fascinating study nonetheless of the different experiences of generals in war, those who send off men to their deaths and those men themselves as they die with their friends, and the ultimate pointlessness of all war, even those that are conce- conceived to be good or righteous. Yeah, the the book has been... Uh, adapted into a film, albeit a not very successful one, and uh, yeah, it's been printed in many, many editions now. I so, certainly, um, I, I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to say it was a book that had to be on everyone's must-read list. Unlike Barack Obama, and apparently the Modern Library, who ranked it fifty-first on its list of a hundred best English language novels of the twentieth century, but it is certainly nonetheless a very um, uh, yeah, a very, very good and gripping book. You definitely feel a lot for the people that are involved and you want to see what happens to them and you want to know their story and understand it. Yeah, so that's The Naked and the Dead by Norman Mailer. Has anyone else read this book? Well, No, I haven't read it, but I have read one Norman Ma- Norman Mailer book before. Oh, okay. I've not heard of him before, actually. What, which book have you read, um, Al? Uh, I've read uh, the... Uh, I've read the the fight by Norman Mailer, which is his non-fiction book on um, the rumble in the jungle. Uh, uh, I think you mentioned Muhammad it before, Ali actually. And yeah. George okay. Foreman. It's kind of a very uh, yeah, it's like a, a literati take on you know the the boxing book, and it's it's a fascinating read. Although um, it's very mu- it feels very much like Gonzo journalism as such. Mailer kind of puts himself into the story as much as the two fighters, although he becomes enthralled in this kind of classic battle of. You know, sort of age versus you know the progress, and he kind of he kind of aligns Foreman to a, an industrial revolution and Ali to this kind of classical way of life almost. And it's I mean you could easily call it pretentious at times, but um, I took it to be quite poetic, and it was extremely well written. Um, Naked and the, the Naked and the Dead is definitely on my list of books to read. Actually, um, obviously it's a huge list. Um, I mean how. Ha- it doesn't sounds like you enjoyed it, Dave, but it isn't like a classic to you. Would you suggest it in general? Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I'm certainly glad that I read it, and I definitely enjoyed it. Um, I don't think you'll be disappointed to have it on your list by any means. I I, um, I kind of I, when I was reading a little bit around this before I started reading it, 
some quarters kind of made me feel daft for having not really been familiar with the book before I got it, um, as if it was a you know a kind of all time classic. It was a it was an enormous bestseller when it first came out, and um, it does have some quite. Uh, high praise and and awards from when it when it first came out. Mailer, I think, didn't en- uh, ends up the one the one that I've got is a bit of a forward from him, written I think twenty five or fifty years after uh, he wrote it, and he's kind of he doesn't in- yeah fifty years afterwards, and it's interesting his take on it that he kind of dismisses it as a easy kind of this is the way you write a bestseller and he he hit all the kind of tropes that he had to and it doesn't necessarily make it a a good book and he then he wrote um he wrote a number of novels after that that were all panned three or four novels pure novels that were all kind of panned by critics until he um moved into this kind of capote new journalism style and wrote um his, his, his most famous book is probably The Executioner's Song, uh, which won him the Pulitzer Prize. And he wrote a number of famous essays and and other uh, books and novels that are um, this new journalism style. So novels that rely on factual situations, but are, you know, use lots of the kind of um, devices that novels use to tell the story, which is where it kind of made most of his name, I think. Have you read any mailer? Uh, not- um, I've actually not even heard of him or this book. So uh, those people that Dave says, you know, <laughs> surprised well, that he hadn't heard of it. I'm I'm also in that boat. Well, you're not quite as you know uh, well read as me and Dave. We're we're snooty, pretentious literati, whereas you're you know, you know you're you're the working man. You know, whereas me and Dave <laughs> are kind of in this upper echelon. You know, obviously. Yeah, I, yeah. I I work in. As it's not, you know, as we've been discussed before, but I live and work in London, and I'm in an office full of southern pansies, uh, <laughs> all, all, almost to a person, all you know, high university, good university trained, kind of people, very qualified people, of which I am entirely a. Um, no one's really caught on to the fact that I entirely do not belong. Um, but this <laughs> this week, I got called highfalutin. <laughs> Really? Yeah. The only person there with a, a, any kind of regional accent. And I was the one that got called highfalutin. In what context? Uh, I don't remember. I was that outraged. I blocked everything else out. <laughs> I think what well, they, I, I think I what they meant to say was that I... Um, was that I... Um, Oh, that's right. It was that I didn't remember someone who used to work at with in our team a few years back because they were. The accusation was I didn't remember them because they were just in inverted commas an an admin person, and that, I don't think that's the reason. I just don't. I just honestly didn't remember. It was a few years back, and they weren't there for very long, so I don't think highfalutin <laughs> was used correctly. But right, <laughs> still highfalutin. A few people. Me. I mean, a few people at my work universally agreed that I I was posh somehow. I think it's generally well, though are. because I don't have a bro- well. I mean, they agreed because I think it's just because I don't have a broad Geordie accent. I mean, there's one guy at work who he brings in a fact book and every day he gives us a new fact, and he starts every one with "Did ye nah?" and it's <laughs> uh, he's about the broadest Geordie you've ever heard. 
Well, is it is it not true that you just moved out of a palatial property in the northeast with an extensive, uh, exclusive art collection, and are now <laughs> bourgeoisie property owning yourself? I mean that that makes you extremely uh, <laughs> well. If, if you're certainly if in the, you were seeing where I live, you're in the you're in the five percent now, aren't you? <laughs> uh, I, I think if you saw if you saw the area I was living, you you definitely call me a prol. I think, um, or I'm certainly I'm ha- I'm having my little road to Wigan Pier moment, uh, living among <laughs> at least. Uh, right, let's move on from that. Uh, <laughs> okay then. Well, let's go to you, Al. Al, what have you got for us? Sure. Okay, I'll talk about uh, the one book I have a uh, maybe not a great deal to say about, but certainly something to say about. This was recommended to me um, by my girlfriend, Ellen, and a few other people. It's um, a book by John Ronson, The Psychopath Test. Mm. Uh, before I go into any details, anyone else read this at all? Um, I've heard of it, but I've not read it. But I, was, I recommended it um, when I worked in the mental hospital. Pretty much everyone was reading it. I was one of the few that wasn't. I've not read any of his books, but I he's on... A, a, must be half a dozen different podcasts that I listen to as a guest. And he always strikes me as being someone absolutely fascinating and someone that I want to read. But uh, no, never yes. never got round to it, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. don't know. Yeah, well, anyway, The Psychopath Test is um, it's kind of a book about the, uh, the mental health industry as such. Uh, it has a very unusual start. I mean, without giving too much away, uh, Ronson's almost hired as a private detective as such to try and find out who's been sending out... Uh, a cryptic sort of art book to put to certain, um, shall we say, academic individuals. And it kind of descends from that into studying Bob Hare's psychopath test, which is a um, sort of a test of series of questions, a 20 part test administered to detect uh, psychopaths. And he kind of um, he veers around the subject going from a, a guy called a guy who is in a, you know, a permanent kind of mental health hospital uh, because he faked psychopathy after GBH to um, a kind of corporate psychopathy of Albert Dunlap who's a famous CEO who enjoys firing people and it's a kind of fascinating look at the kind of mental health industry and what it means to you know kind of categorize people into you know psychopaths and non-psychopaths and I think probably the highlight again without ruining it too much is he's meeting with Toto Constant who's a um, a kind of a death squad leader from Haiti who certainly appears to pass the test at least and Ronson is he's a a fabulous writer actually he's very readable yet at the same time it feels like you're in conversation with him but in conversation with a very you know well resourced um, sort of intellectually superior individual yeah he's, he's very relatable he kind of he's he sort of relates everything to his own anxiety problem and it reminds me a lot in terms of style of kind of a maybe slightly more highfalutin to use a term we've used already kind of louis theroux uh it's certainly that kind of that kind of setup where he's visiting kind of interesting people in the sake of this argument and he certainly has a lot of run-in with scientology in this book as well i can't speak obviously to its you know reliability in terms of you know its portrayal of a psych psychopathy um but it was a fascinating read and it taught me a lot about kind of the industry which is 
kind of at a certain point in America especially veered into uh, labelling people with conditions that they didn't necessarily have in order to fund particularly childhood uh, bipolar which is in, in very small children which particularly wasn't there has anyone seen and I know as you said nobody's read his books but has anyone seen any adaptations of his work like I know he's he had a film The Man, the Men Who Stare at Goats I've seen The Men Who Stare at Goats but I'm also familiar with the fact that it's quite removed from his book in the end yeah that, yeah that's what i understand um certainly he wrote i don't know if you know this but he wrote the um he, he, well he helped write the film okja uh the netflix exclusive yeah, film that came yeah. out recently um which i will review on the next podcast uh, spoiler i was a big fan he certainly he's extremely relatable yet as i said it feels like you're talking to kind of a more relatable, even more anxious sort of Stephen Fry. It's somehow extremely readable, yet extremely mentally taxing at the same time. I mean, the psychopath test itself, like the actual test that was created by Rob Bob Hare, is controversial, yet is in wide practice at the minute. And there are certain people who claim not to be psychopaths, who are kind of incarcerated almost on a full-time basis like um one of the main characters well not characters real people in this book is called tony he's the guy i referenced earlier who he went to jail for serious gbh and certainly somebody who deserved to be locked away for a while uh, but he'd been in in basically a hospital for 20 years because he faked psychopathic conditions which he quoted from films like blue velvet to start with uh it's a fascinating read um i mean ron ronson is I've only, this is the only book I've read by him, but I will be seeking out other things he's written. Um, hmm. So you said you said you've never read anything by him at all, Clive. <clears throat> I've not. No, I've always wanted to read this because it's an area I'm very interested in, and uh, yeah, it sounds really interesting. It's definitely a. I mean, the categorization of these things and things like that is something that I've you know been a part of all my life. Really, not that I've personally had any, but that <laughs> because I've worked in helping people with autism and disabilities and in a mental hospital and even now as a teacher um you know children get and I'm part of deciding if children get or at least flagging up if I think children have got certain things and it is a strange it's always a a strange thing to me because it's like this child is doing this is it because of (laughs) because of this or are they just like that or is you know or where do those two lines kind of just cross and there is a like you're saying it's interesting that you bring up the fact that um a lot of the time people pretend to be pretend to have these conditions that's definitely a thing because I think generally speaking I don't know much about prison but I think uh, generally the mental hospitals are more a bit more cushy than uh, prisons and so quite often they tr- get sort of steered down that road particularly the more sort of heinous crimes where they're never going to get out um, yeah they kind of uh, I think there's probably even lawyers out there that kind of <laughs> uh, you know advise them on what to say to to, to go down certain to get a certain diagnosis and end up in a certain place. But because, I mean, there yeah. was particular wards, the, the wards where I worked, they were all divided into different um, categories of these uh, conditions. You know, there was like the learning disability ward. And the one that everyone was always more dubious about was the personality disorder ward, because that was the one that was apparently easiest to <laughs> easiest to fake. Um, and that was generally the ward with the more um, uh, sort of heinous crimes in it. But yeah, it's definitely yeah. interesting. It's weird. It's and also it kind of gives because obviously you know mental health has been 
and things and mental illnesses have been taboo and things for a while and there's still a lot of people out there a surprising amount of people out there who will say it's uh just get over it it's not you know and will not see it as an illness um which is ridiculous because it obviously is but then also the fact you've got there definitely is people who you know make it up for their own benefit and they obviously hurt the cause of those who <laughs> actually have these terrible terrible problems but yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting area. The brain is such a fascinating thing, such a such a fascinating thing. Mm. I mean, um, I thought I thought particularly fascinating was when he was talking about kind of corporate psychopathy. Um, yeah. the the idea that the qualities, well, sorry, the idea that the negative aspects of a psychopathic personality are useful in the corporate mm. capitalistic society. Um, this guy Dunlop in the book. Um, readily admits to so many of the traits of the psychopath test and he sort of spins them to, you know, being positive. So, um, you know, inability to accept that he's wrong ever. He takes us, you know, never giving up. Um, <laughs> everything yeah. is kind of spun to be a positive quality. Right, and, sure. I mean, it's interesting, where is the line between somebody who's a psychopath and someone who isn't? Mm. Um, well, there probably really isn't one. It's just like... Everyone's kind of on a spectrum of certain, like, or you know, everyone's. I think everyone's on the awesome spectrum to some degree. It's just at some point on the spectrum, someone decides, right, you're too far on the spectrum now. <laughs> You've got this, uh-huh. um, but I suspect it's similar with every every condition to some extent. Yeah. I, like I said, I've, I've, I'm, I'm reliably. Sorry, go on now. Oh no, sorry. I was just about to say I'm reliably informed by Ellen. Um, John Ronson's a can, he's a big fan of uh, quite a few artists. Certainly Stephen Gill, who someone I'm very mildly or vaguely familiar with um and he does a lot of writing for the guardian which that, that's mainly my main connection to ronson i've read a few of his his columns in the guardian mm-hmm. um but he's, he's an end i think he's he has the job that i would love to have i've always <laughs> said i wanted to be louis through but possibly more than louis through i'd like to be john ronson um i'm sorry what were you going to say um dave I, I've I've not read one of his books, but I've listened to dozens of interviews with him on podcasts, and he seems like a uh, a very interesting guy. He's got a fan, fan, uh, just an incredible backstory. He was he was a radio DJ when he was when he was quite young, um, and one of his first kind of roles, and he was on radio shows with Craig Cash, who went on to go write uh, the Royal Family with uh, Caroline Ahern, and then to essentially just to make money, he ended up being one of the backing bands for Frank Sidebottom. Ah, yes. Uh, and John Ronson co-wrote the script of Frank with uh, Michael Fassbender that came out after uh, Frank came out after Frank Sidebottom had died. But apparently, Frank Sidebottom had given his go to the to the film being made, but gave it give it a bit more impetus than it probably would have done otherwise. And then he's and then he's kind of come in, made his name as this kind of investigative journalist. Um, and I know that another one of his books that I definitely is on my list is um, "So You've Been Publicly Shamed," um, which came out yes. last year, I think, or maybe perhaps the year before. I think last year. Uh, all about people who are horrendously trolled on the internet for perceived failings, in particular. Um, he was inspired by the I can't remember her name now, but it was a famous story about a woman who tweeted a a, a particularly bad joke about African people having AIDS before she got on a plane, and 
this flight was eight hours long and in the meantime a woman who was essentially unheard of with this very poor taste joke admittedly but probably not a racist person ended up having her her entire life exposed in the in the six or seven hours of this flight landed to have been doxxed and be exposed to the most incredible vitriolic hatred of the internet and follows those in those kind of stories and it's a fascinating uh, it seems like a fascinating topic but I know from an interview that he did after sometime after the psychopath test he said that he basically had to take himself out of society for a for, for months he he laid low and stopped working on projects because he identified in himself so many of the traits that he discussed in his book and he couldn't go anywhere without seeing them in absolutely everybody and decided that yeah. he'd he'd um yeah he'd kind of delved too far down the rabbit hole almost and it took him a long time to stop thinking about people in these diagnostic terms and and treat them as people again almost it seems mm. huh. i can imagine that's the thing that must be affect you a lot if you're say a mental health nurse or someone who has to deal with these diagnostic things on a daily basis mm. it must be really hard to just not constantly be thinking oh that guy's slightly blah 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 <laughs> i don't know i can imagine that being yeah. a thing anyway it's, um Certainly, if you are interested in the subject matter, heartily recommended. Um, cool. It'll it'll not it's 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 stimulating without being too heavy. Uh, very very readable. You can read it in small chunks as well, uh, which I find easier to do generally with nonfiction. And I really enjoyed it anyway. I've been reading it the past two weeks in, in chunks on my way to and from work, and it's been a blast. Really. If if you want to find out a little bit more about him quickly john ronson is i definitely recommend his episode on the um adam buxton podcast uh quite an early one you'll find but uh, an interview well i think they're i think they're quite good friends as well and it kind of comes across in the um in the interview but yeah yeah he's very, he's very good friends with the documentarian adam curtis as well mm who is someone, uh, this is on a bit of a tangent here, but I'd really recommend. It's a documentary called Hypernormalisation, which is on BBC iPlayer, and I think it seems to have been on for ages. I can't really describe what it's about, but if you feel like having your mind blown, go and give it a go. <laughs> nah. <laughs> well, you know. I'd rather don't like change. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I voted leave. <laughs> <laughs> I want to change it back to the past, please. The good old days of racism and hatred. <laughs> anyway, um, thanks for that. Yeah, that's a very kind of unexpected book there. And uh, yeah, one that I've seen numerous times and I've always wanted to read. But uh, maybe you've finally given me the kick up the arse to get around to it. It's not particularly long either, is it? It's quite... No, nah. it's not long. It's not long. Palatable. Excellent. Cool. Um, I guess we're around to me then. Right, I'm going to start with... Who knows if I'll do another one, we'll find out. This is my main review anyway. I'm going to start with a book that I've just finished called Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card, which was published in 1985, I believe. Um, it's a military science fiction novel uh, set in the future when mankind is under under threat after a couple of wars with a race called, um, hilariously called, The Buggers. 
Um, really? Which, yeah. <laughs> which uh, I found slightly distracting throughout the book, but that is, the ne- that is yeah. what they're called. That, that was a mistake, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, they're an insect-like species of aliens. Um, the third war looms, and humans have been kind of preparing to fight by training children from a very young age by um, getting them to play like military simulation games in zero gravity. They get kind of more and more difficult as they go along. Um, Ender gets taken to the school where these games happen. At the st- pretty much right at the start of the book, there's a little bit of intro, but um, essentially the the school is like split up into teams, a bit like houses in a boarding school. It definitely seems to be based on that model. Um, each team has like a captain, and their whole aim is to basically their whole aim is to win as many games as against the other teams as possible. So they're training in the day about you know the tactics of the game, but they don't seem to learn much else other than that. They just seem to learn how to you know out uh, outsmart the opposition. And yeah, they're all living in the in these sort of bunks together and hanging out with their own team. And there's different teams, and they get to trade between each other um, at different points. Their players and all that kind of stuff. And um, Ender goes through the ranks really quickly, and it's made uh, very clear that he's thought of uh, by the powers above as sort of my- mankind's last hope. At the start of like each chapter, there's kind of some talk between the two people who I think it's like the you know the someone pretty high up in government and the person who owns the who runs the school kind of discuss how they're going to what challenge they're going to put Ender through next, and it's all clearly kind of they've decided that Ender is this kid who's got this you know amazing talent, and they want to make him as good good a general as possible so that he can fight in this war, and um, so that everything everything around him is kind of almost uh you know made unfair on purpose so that he gets a bigger challenge out of it so they throw him into all sorts of interesting and unfair situations to test his metal and kind of improve him as a soldier for him in the aim of him eventually leading the human army against this third bugger invasion um yeah i i, I was a big fan of this book uh, once i got past the fact of about the past the fact that the aliens were called buggers um <laughs> it's well ahead of its time like i was quite surprised to I didn't really know when it, I, knew, I assumed it was. I knew it's a classic, so I thought you know it, it's quite old, but it's from 1985, and it definitely could have been written today. Like there's a lot of the things that are quite, um, I guess you, I don't know what the word is, visionary. Like there's it basically you know there's the internet on it, and um, you know pretty it predicts things pretty well about a variety of things. It's it's sort of it it's apparently it's a text in some sort of military. Uh, they have to read it. I can't remember which countries it is, but it definitely raises like constant questions about how much pain it is ethical to kind of put one man through for the sort of hypothetical good of mankind um, and the two people who discuss things at the beginning of each chapter kind of go through that problem there's one who's very much saying we can't keep doing this to him he's gonna it's, we're gonna end up killing him and then another guy who's going well we need to push him to the edge because that's the only way he's gonna be as good as he can be and we need him to be as good as he can be or we're gonna lose and um, so that raises kind of a lot of interesting questions. I found Ender's character is interesting too. Um, he kind of battles internally with trying to not become like his overly violent brother, who was a person that um, the government had hope in before, but that he turned out to be a bit too, a bit too psychopathic, I guess. Um, while still, obviously, he doesn't want to be too violent, but he still wants to be an effective commander. So he's kind of uh, toying with that, and he's quite an introspective person, which makes uh, the book more interesting. Um, without going into t- uh, without going into detail because I don't really want to spoil it, spoil it, I found the ending a little bit disappointing, but I'd definitely recommend the book to any sci-fi fan. It's a pretty easy read. It's but not in a pulpy way, um, so I'd also recommend it to you know teenagers. I think it was originally aimed as a kind of teen 
fiction book. I could be wrong there, but I think it was. Um, but it's certainly, for me, a book that adults can get a lot out of. But it is uh, quite an easy read, but it does also cover a lot of sort of heavier topics. And some of it is not graphic, but some of the stuff that happens is quite just a bit brutal, I suppose. <laughs> so it doesn't sort of pull any punches that, uh, for the sake of it being a, a book aimed maybe at a younger audience. But yeah, definitely recommended. One that I've had on my list for ages, and although I haven't heard great things about the film, I do want to watch it now because I'm interested in how they've adapted the... Because the main, the core game of the that they play in this school sounds pretty interesting. It's done in like zero gravity, and they have to sort of get through a gate at the other side with they've got this massive army and the the guns they don't obviously kill the opposition they just freeze them whichever body part you hit freezes and uh you can disable the other people like that and it just sounds like quite an interesting game that i'm interested how they've turned that into film but yeah i'd recommend it definitely for sci-fi fans like me it's got some interesting ideas also the 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 bugger alien race is you know a one that's a bit more interesting than most i think (laughs) and has a bit of mystery around it which i like Right, fantastic. Um, I haven't read this. Um, I've seen a little bit of the film, and it wasn't amazing. Um, <laughs> cool. But yeah, I, I've I have heard from other people, and now I've heard it from you that it is it is a good book. Um, but I've got to admit that this whole kind of youth fiction, young adult fiction, I'm getting a little bit tired of everyone being categorised into certain houses or groups. It's like character traits. Well, I mean, this was and eighty-five. So I think nearly you all of them. Uh, oh, so he's one of the first to do it, then. Right. Okay. Fair enough. I will let him off. Maybe. It's- <laughs> I think he might have set a trend. Uh, but yeah, I, I know what you. Okay. Mean. I know what you mean. Absolutely. Um, although I think there are things that are interesting about that. If you've like, I haven't personally read. I've not read Hunger Games. I've not read any of those others. So, to me, it's an interesting. I don't know. It's always interesting to have sort of the. You know the the kids kind of the bullies and all those kind of groups and you know look at that school dynamic uh, that happens when you put people who are kind of a similar age in the same same environment. I always find that kind of interesting how a book explores that, but this has a very different vibe to that just because a lot of it is more focused on the game and him just becoming a good commander and what that entails and. Yeah, it's interesting. I wouldn't say it's a little bit like Dave. This is often considered a sci-fi classic. I don't know if I'd go that far myself, but I did really enjoy it. Hey. Hello. Excellent. Right, <laughs> Hello. okay. Um, um, so, yeah, um, I guess... Hello. Was I gone there? Yeah. Um, I think you might have disappeared for a bit, yeah, but no worries. Um, cool. We'll go around back We're back to Dave then. If you've got another one for us, Dave, uh, what time are we running on? We're on 51. Yeah, I think we've got time for a quick... A, couple, a few quickies and then we'll... I'll just be super quick then with my next one. So the one of the more recent books I've finished reading was um, another one sent to me by Hatchards, who after I got my free year of books, then tried a couple of months later to lure me into paying for the same thing by sending me a copy of The Loved One by Evelyn Waugh. This book was voted by readers at Hatchards as the best novella of all time and was um, reprinted and reissued in a special jacket in a... I mean, the copy I've got is absolutely beautiful. I'm just fetching it. 
you know, just for the... I'm just fetching it now for the listeners at home to really appreciate. Listen, listen to this heft. The sound of it. <laughs> oh, doesn't that sound like a good book? Again? You can just tell. You can feel the heft. Oh, heft. Um, yeah, The Loved One or An Anglo-American Tragedy um, is... Uh, you, could, you could easily beat a burglar with that. Yeah, a small burglar. And it would probably be a stun... Uh, whilst giving you enough time to fetch something slightly more substantial, um, <laughs> perhaps a, a rolling pin, etc. Sure. This book is uh, written by War, who is most famous for Brideshead Revisited, uh, his novel, which was also turned into a, uh, a film, and then later a maybe even more famous nowadays uh, TV adaptation. This book, The Loved One, is uh, based on War's time spent in Hollywood um, whilst his book, Brideshead Revisited, was being turned into the film. Um, it's based around a, uh, a real-life real club called the Hollywood Cricket Club formed of English actors who found themselves in Hollywood a long way away from home albeit that the characters in this book are fiction. They are, some of them in particular, very, very, very strongly based on real-life figures around this club, most of whom were bit-part actors in, in Hollywood in the, um, in the 1940s, just after the Second World War. The book follows Evelyn, essentially Evelyn War, who whilst he was in Hollywood, became obsessed with a, uh, a cemetery in Hollywood uh, that was nothing like any European cemeteries ever come across before because each, uh, because this cemetery had was exquisitely uh, detailed and, and crafted and uh, with lots of romance and poetry and uh, had a, it was almost a Disney-fied version of a cemetery you find in, in Europe and he became obsessed with this, so... This book follows follows the main character who becomes a it goes out to the, to the to Hollywood to try and sell his poems. Uh, realizes that he needs to make some money. Becomes obsessed with this cemetery, but the closest thing he can do to getting a job there is to work in a pet cemetery. When his sponsor in the in the US, the man whose house he's staying at, dies, he goes through to the Happy Hunting Ground, the name of this cemetery to arrange for his funeral and that's where he falls in love with one of the embalmers the the embalmer he falls in love with is also has met the eye of the head of embalming at the happy hunting ground and there's a um uh, a bit of a love triangle episode goes on with hilarious consequences i think i'm supposed to say um <laughs> the um it, I say it's a, it's a novella, so it's very sh it's it, it's not much more than a short story. Um, it's um, quite fast paced. Um, the the idea behind it is fascinating and 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 funny and brilliant. Um, and I I really enjoyed the first three quarters of the novel of the, of the novella, and um, I was glad that it had been sent to me. It ends on something of a sour note, and I I can't honestly tell whether or not it's um, supposed to be satirical or whether it's just a badly hashed 
ending. Essentially, yeah, without without spoiling it too much, in case anyone wants to read it. But essentially, um, there is um, some rather dramatic. Well, now he's kind of giving it away. But um, there's there's some well, there's some sexism at the, right at the end, in 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 quite uh, real terms and uh, I, I'm not sure that he would almost got the sense that maybe he was trying to pastiche that but I just almost got the impression that actually he just kind of hatched, hatched together a bit of an ending so um, whilst I'm glad I've been sent it and it looks beautiful on the shelf the uh, the ending left me a little bit sour so I, I don't know that I would necessarily re- go and recommend this to anyone in particular but um, it is a nice example of a of a novella it is a fairly quick read it would only be an hour or two of a de- of one dedicated session i would suggest yeah so that's the loved one by evelyn war that's the first war that i've ever 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 read i've not read anything else by him has anyone else read any evelyn war i've not i've heard no. of obviously but i've not read any hmm. no can't say i have brideshead Re- revisited is one of those books that everyone's supposed to have read but i haven't even though you know I've read a fair few classics in my time. Um, yeah, I mean, did you? You said you hadn't read *Brideshead Revisited*. No. Is that something something you would read now? Um, I'm not in a massive rush to go read it after having read this, and I almost get the impression that this is a very different thing from what the rest of his work was. Right. Okay. And that this was a bit of a, mm. an exercise in itself, rather than a kind of you know, the part of his. Uh, I don't know. Sure, it's something of a comedy of errors, which I don't think *Brideshead Revisited* is is about at all. Um, hmm. I think *Brideshead Revisited* is much more plays with more of a straight bat. Cool. Hmm. Evelyn War is always someone that I look at the book and have always thought, "How the frig do I pronounce that name?" <laughs> so uh, you've just enlightened me to that. So much appreciated. I think that's probably what I would have gone for. One of the many benefits of the um, the audio experience. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Read tons of reviews, but they haven't helped. <laughs> um, Al, have you got anything else? Uh, only very briefly. I'll mention the only other book I've read since the last time. Cool. Um, which is not exactly high literature. <laughs> I decided on a whim to read Zlatan Ibrahimovic's autobiography. I think Josh has read this. So it's a shame he's not on it because I'm pretty sure he's read it as well. Yeah, I was. T- I read that it. I read that it was the best, um, like footballer's autobiography, and the be- the only real insightful. Well, maybe not insightful. The only thing I can say about this is, if you've ever watched Alan Partridge season two, and you recall him talking about bouncing back, in mm-hmm. which every anecdote is ended with, needless to say, I had the last laugh. <laughs> I am Zlatan Ibrahimovic is remarkably close, <laughs> albeit with a much more. Uh, successful man. He seems to be a man who's purely motivated by revenge <laughs> and uh, talking in the third person. But anyway, if you're a big football <laughs> fan, yeah, it's an interesting read, and he's not shy, put it that way. And it's 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 reasonably well written as well for a footballer. I mean, naturally, probably ghost written, but uh, he, he he has had an interesting tale. But yeah, certainly not one for anybody who's not into the football. And right, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's really all I've got to say on it. But I just, I just thought it's remarkable how similar it is in tone to <laughs> "Bouncing Back" by Alan Partridge. That's probably not a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> well, take it how you take it. Um, okay. 
Interesting. Um, yeah, we'll, be, well, we'll get Josh's views on that when he uh, when he's next on the pod. Did you um, did you read it, Al, uh, with Zlatan's voice of that of uh, Zlatan from the um, leagues of the EPL? <laughs> <laughs> I did. Yeah, that was the voice I was reading it in my head. Uh, certainly, Zlatan with his doing his Rudy Tudy. <laughs> uh, anybody, anybody who's not getting that, um, do good. go out and listening. Listen to yeah, good. <laughs> go out and listen to Atletico Pathetico, which is not Pathetico. That's the name of my five side team. Um, Atletico Mints. <laughs> uh, Shameless promotion there thrown in, right? Yeah, casual. Yeah. That's very casual. Yeah, winners of Division Three at goals Middlesbrough. Ah, um, again. Shameless promotion. No, you've won something, yeah. though, so that's good. Uh, yeah, we, we started off in... We actually got started off in the top league, having somehow fluked our way through an exhibition match. Then we got battered, literally, by about 20 goals nearly every single game. <laughs> and they said, do you, want to get, do you want to get relegated? And we were like, yeah. And they said, do you want to go down to the second division? And we're like, nah, we'll have the third division. Uh, <laughs> we found our level there. Anyway, <laughs> that's off topic. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I'll just finish quickly on I've also read Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson um, everyone's probably heard of this one tells of a boy Jim Hawkins who sets off with an adult crew to find a treasure on a map he's come in possession of classic tale of buccaneering mutiny and treasure hunting I found um, I, I enjoyed it I enjoyed it more than I expected to actually I found the storyline kind of interesting throughout I've never read this before I've watched Muppets Treasure Island that's as close as I've got <laughs> which uh, is remarkably similar follows it remarkably closely um, and wouldn't I think that the story was interesting throughout and at ne- no point was it particularly predictable I didn't think even though I had seen Muppets Protrusional Island and it had been so, so long ago that I kind of forgot what happened I think it's got really interesting characters particularly you know Long John Silver the one thing that holds it back to me is that the slightly sort of antiquated writing style which considering it's from 1882 is to be expected and is you know of no fault of the book but um, I find myself having to like reread certain parts which I think in certain books is fine but in ones like this where it's kind of a fast-paced adventure story um, kind of takes away from it a little bit um, which is is the one thing that hampered it a bit to me but other than that I, I really enjoyed the book and I think it's one people should read also it's not particularly long it's yeah cool not one I'd necessarily read to uh, primary school kids because it's written in such a sort of slightly antiquated way but definitely good an example of where antiquated style I think works is um, Alice in Wonderland <laughs> uh, I don't think it hampers that book at all but um, yeah so that's Treasure Island it's really good if you like pirate books like we do on this pirate boat obviously so yeah, check it out. Has anyone read it? Go on. Now. I've read it a lot, a long, long time ago. Okay. Um, I mean, I can barely. The only way I can remember it is because of the Muppet Treasure Island movie, which <laughs> is probably the second best Muppet movie I would say after M- Muppet first? Christmas Carol. Okay. Muppet Christmas Carol. I thought you. That's got to be the best, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've seen that one. Really? No, I haven't seen yeah, many of them. So- to be honest, I think I've only seen Treasure Island. So. Should probably get on that. I think he's lying to Dave. I think he must have done. Yeah. Um, there's no way, no way you can actually make it this far in life having not seen a Muppets Christmas Carol. Okay. I'll check. Maybe when I start watching it, I'll be like, "Yeah, I've seen this." Yeah, you must have Michael Caine in it. And Michael Caine. Yeah. Of Zulu fame. Of like internationally renowned actor <laughs> fame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay. 
He's Scrooge. We'll see. Ruin it, but maybe it'll be our Christmas uh, film of the month if we ever bring that feature back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> cool. So we've got nothing else. I had a couple more, but we're going to scrap it because we're uh, about perfect time. Perfect. Al, just well, talking of time. Perfect time. We're, we're, in, we're an hour into the pod, but I can't remember when we started. <laughs> and my watch has just snuffed it because it's not Swiss; right. it's just Japanese. Oh it's, oh, it's a Japanese watch. You can't trust them. You know, you exactly, can't trust them no. for technology. At least not for antiquity technology. That's where you want to go Swiss on that. Yeah, uh, anyway, <laughs> um, looking on my Swiss genuine Rolex, I believe... Is Rolex Swiss? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Who knows? started a bit here. Uh, it's plug time! Hit it, Clive. Yeah! At StickAroundCast on Twitter, stickaroundpodcast.com. Said podcast there for some reason. <laughs> Podcast dot uh, com on the internet. No one noticed. Uh, Keep going. <laughs> People did. Uh, slash stick around podcast on Instagram. Slash stick around on Patreon if you want to throw some money our way. Stick around podcast at gmail dot com if you want to email us and tell us you love us and you know other things like that. Throw a bottle in the water, ideally not just a bottle with. Um, some sort of note in it, throw it in the sea. It will get to our pirate ship and we'll read it out, just like we did last week. And I think that's pretty much everything covered. Facebook, we're on slash stick around podcast on that. Give us a, give us the old thumbs up to make us feel happy. Um, yeah, hopefully next time we'll be back um, with, well, next books, we'll have Josh back, hopefully. What's next? On, is it films next? I believe of- it is films next, yeah. And I... I- I actually have a lot to talk about this time. I didn't yeah. so much last time. Yeah, well, you usually hit, do, so... Yeah, we've been hit by a glut of um, summer blockbuster films. S- some of which are better than others. Let's put it out. Ooh, it spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> I've been struggling to uh, find yeah stuff that I want to see at the minute, but I have seen some things, so... Interesting. Baby Driver. Go and see that. Yes, seen it. Uh, that's on my list. Yeah. Uh, I won't say anything other than it's recommended. Uh, Rolex is a Swiss <laughs> company. I could buy a watch here yes. for £60,000. So. Rolex, Rolex is extremely Swiss. Uh, I, I yeah. wasn't even aware of that. So. Yeah. Okay. You didn't know that Rolex was Swiss? <laughs> no, I didn't. Well, Where did you think it was I th- from? I don't know. I just thought it was someone else. It's because it doesn't have like the Swiss... Most Swiss watch companies put Swiss flag on it because they want to make the most... <laughs> most Rolex doesn't. Yeah. Like, is it TIG, what are they called? TIG, something or other. TIGO or... Oh, TAG Hill. Uh, I'm, I'm a crap Swiss watch. Yeah, that one. And there's the other one as well. Tissot, I think it is. T-I-S-S-O-T. They've got yeah. a Swiss flag on their logo as well. There's loads of them. Right. Quite a lot of them uh, get certain bits of it made in Germany. Scandalous. Just like to point out, I wear a Mondain, which is the um, the official watch of the Swiss railway. It has the little railway clock on my wrist. It's brilliant. Always on time. Wow. As, as does James Cable, so officially the most popular watch in the on podcast, podcast. Unless anyone else has got a Casio. Someone's got to have a no, Casio. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't actually own a watch. I certainly don't own a Rolex. There's <laughs> um, <laughs> one for 60 grand here. Get on it. I remember uh, my, my uncle once brought back a fake one from uh, Benidorm, and he offered it to me. Um, but I wore it for about a week, and I it left some sort of residue on my arm. Turned my arm a little bit green, um, so I didn't. I didn't wear that. I didn't wear that anymore. You won't get that with a real Rolex. No, I hope not. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, cool. Thank you. 
Go on, Al. Thank you very much for coming, guys. Uh, come back next time for films. Yes. Yeah. See you then. Adios. Bye bye. Stick around. Stick around. I'm quite tired. Stick around. Oh. Rip. Hefty book. Cool. Done, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening Rest assured that you have found The best podcast in the universe It's Stick Around I've got three books here. Can they add up to more heft than your one book? Good grief.